0: This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is prerecorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer
1: excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a
0: union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Listen to The Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6.
2: And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us
3: to do this too.
0: Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show Special, exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery, in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this
4: RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon.
0: This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like Rins and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause.
1: Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We thank everybody for tuning in. We've got a very, very special program for our listeners today, J. Doc, a great panel discussion, which you will lead, and I guarantee the audience, in a world where there are not many guarantees, I guarantee the listening audience today, if you listen intently to what's being said by the principles on this conversation, on the Labor and Energy Show, you will be more educated. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We get started right now. J. Doc, over to you.
5: Thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, th- this is a very special broadcast, uh, like you said, of, of the Labor and Energy Show. It's an action alert special. Uh, we have the members of our Energy Education and Awareness Board uh, on, the, on the broadcast, and I uh, couldn't be more excited about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about really important issues. And let's not waste any time, gentlemen. Uh, I do want to introduce everybody that is on uh, that is going on the broadcast. Rob Baer, President, Pennsylvania Building Trades Council. Greg Ladovy, Business Manager, Operating Engineers, Local 825. Dave Callahan, President, Marcella Shale Coalition. Jim Snell, Business Manager, Steamfitters Local 420. John Bland business manager, Boilermakers Local 13, Sean Steffi, business agent, Boilermakers Local 154, Kevin Boyle, business manager, Ironworkers Local 401, Jim Riley, business manager, operating engineers, Local 542, Brendan Williams, PBF Energy, uh, head of government relations, Adam Gatuso, Monroe Energy, uh, government affairs communications leader. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about important issues. We want to educate the public uh, and and let people know what's going on. Uh, in a sense, we're going to be spit firing um, because we have so many individuals and we're dealing with a number of issues on the broadcast. So I want to start off uh, with Jimmy Snell. Jimmy, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Um, you would send out an action alert last week and, and uh, you know so, uh, on something that is a huge project that we have an opportunity with here in in uh, Pennsylvania uh, but these things are going around the country and it's it's important for us to to um, uh, you know obviously get proactive talk about the hydrogen hub Mach 2 project
4: all right short sure thing Joe uh, once again thanks for having us on the show you provide us a platform to, to get our point across so thanks for that um, okay Mach 2 right? mid-atlantic clean hydrogen all right so that's where that comes from um as everybody knows infrastructure bill uh you know a couple years ago year and a half ago there's a there's a part in that bill that talks about hydrogen okay how the federal government wants to to fund four hydrogen hubs at at a cost of about i think it was somewhere around seven to eight billion dollars so you know, here's a, 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 you know, we see that and, and just a couple of us kind of banging our heads together and, and uh, you know, it's about 15, 16 months ago and, you know, um, kind of, you know, started talking about why can't we have a hydrogen hub, you know, this region, that's what we're shooting for a regional. So it's, it's, it's the Philly, Southeast Pennsylvania area, Northern Delaware, Southern Jersey. Okay. So, um, Long story short, uh, you know, four wasn't enough. So there was a lot of lobbying behind the scenes uh, with the Department of Energy, who is uh, controlling this, uh, the hydrogen hubs. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, this past, it was around this past mid-September, they put out a statement, you know, instead of uh, four hubs, minimum is going to be eight all right, with a maximum, you know, somewhere around maybe 10, 11, or whatever. So, uh, but anyway, so it's been a long process. We started out small, and it's grown. So some of the fellows on this call right now are part of the, the, uh, the this process of acquiring a hydrogen hub for the region. Um, you know, we we just want to work. Right. So, so, you know, when it comes to the building trades, we'll do whatever we got to do, uh, to, to, to push a project like this across the finish line. Um, you know, it's been, it's been pretty awesome working with all our end users. Um, and, and, you know, some of the major players that are a part of this, right. You have PBF Monroe energy transfer, new fortress over in South Jersey. Uh, you have the, the ports, uh, uh, a, a couple different airports, large and small. Um, you have uh, SEPTA, PGW, Philadelphia Gas Works, South Jersey Transit, DART. You know the uh, Delaware busing. Um, you know, so it's kind of a wide range of end users that are that are uh, very excited about the possibilities to to bring hydrogen to this region. So one of the one of the cool things about this region, and this is based on what, uh, DOE has, has told us, we have the infrastructure in place already. All right. We have a hydrogen pipeline that goes from PBF in Delaware, comes up through southeastern PA crosses the river over in the South Jersey. And, 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 and that's something that many of our, uh, I guess you could call them competitors throughout the country. They don't have. So, you know, um, the, the first, the, the, one of the first uh, things we had to do was uh, get, uh, get a concept paper together, right? Put our plans together. And that was due uh, November 7th. And I think originally they thought there might be 30 to 40 uh, entities that were uh, throughout the country that were going to vie for these, these uh, hydrogen hubs. Well, it turned out there were 79. So, so Department of Energy whittled that down to 33. Um, and, and what, the way that was going to happen, you were, you were going to get notified mid around mid December, you're going to get a notice to proceed or a notice to not proceed, fortunately. And, and we really feel confident. We really do, um, you know, uh, about the group we have and, uh, you know, you don't want to be overconfident, but we really, we thought we had a great shot and, uh, we cleared this first hurdle. So we got, we were one of the groups Mach two. That got a notice to proceed. Now, the next phase is a formal application is due to the Department of Energy uh, April 7th, and then they will award these hubs around hopefully uh, mid to, to uh, late summer. Um, you know, being a part of this group and, and talking with these end users, I mean, the 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 possibilities are endless when it comes to, you know, what they want to do with hydrogen. There's a lot of neat stuff, a lot of a lot of building that would occur uh, for the uh, building trade, various building trade uh, councils in South Jersey, Delaware and and, uh, Philadelphia uh, building trades as well. Um, You know, it's 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 the group uh, consists of naturally building trades and users academia. I mean, we have Penn is involved, Delaware, Delaware Tech, Rowan. I mean, just to name Drexel, uh, just hopped on board. I mean, this is really energized people, um, you know, and and they're excited. We're we're on the brink of, you know, bringing a a whole new way we bring energy into the region. And and the other cool thing about our group, uh, as compared to many others throughout the country, Many of the other groups who were vying for this, uh, l- a lot of their applications were, were fossil fuel heavy, um, you know, uh, and DOE, I don't think, was too, too uh, excited about that. With our group, we, we want to pull in uh, the offshore wind, okay, off the Jersey coast when, when that gets rolling, all right? We're pulling in nuclear You know, we're pulling in different, different forms of energy, clean, natural gas is one. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot going on. Uh, I kind of threw a lot at you in a nutshell, but, but I mean, this thing is real and it's uh, you know, at first 16 months ago, I guess you could say it it, it kind of a pipe dream. And, and as uh, you know, as we talked weekly, our small group, you know, sometimes it felt like you were just kind of spinning our wheels, but, and look, it is what it is. There's a lot of politics at play with these hubs as well. So, um, and, and we feel very comfortable, uh, you know, some of the people we have in this group have, uh, you know, strong relationships, uh, with our friends, uh, in the administration and, you know, and, and, and they see, they see the significance of bringing thousands upon thousands of jobs to the Delaware, you know, uh, Southeast PA, South Jersey region. So, um, I could sit here for an hour and talk to you, Joe, about this thing. It's really exciting.
5: Well, and 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 having said this, but, uh, um, what what's the the timetable? Number one, and what's the call to action? In other words, what can we do? Um, and and you know, I mean, is there? Are, are we at that point where we can support? Um, you know what's going on.
4: So when it comes to to support, uh, you know what we were it. it we're just trying to get the word out still like there's people that don't know about this. And when I say people, I mean uh, our friends, uh, uh, politicians on the state level, uh, some on the federal level. Now, we're going to have very shortly, uh, actually, Danny Bowder, the uh, new head of the Philadelphia AFL-CIO. He's going to have uh, I think it's first week of September. We'll get the date out. But uh, he's going to have a, a big information session uh, in regards to this, uh, regional hydrogen hub for this area. And he, and he's going to invite all the politicians, you know, local, state, federal, and, and really grill down with them. You know, so, so if there's something that we can do, just, just talk to, talk to our friends on the political end, just, you know, they, they want to be, they want to be made aware of what this is, you know? So, um, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now.
5: And 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 Jim, I know you're you're going to be logged, you know, you're going to be uh, logging into the other uh, to the Zoom, but you'll be on this one. I'd like to ask Rob Bear to weigh in on this, if
2: you would. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, as the state president, I'm tracking these projects all over Pennsylvania, and when the Department of Energy opened it up to a couple more hydrogen hubs. We're actually currently working on two in Pennsylvania, one in the Southeast, one in Western PA. Uh, Both of them have done a great job putting together groups and end users. Uh, Western PA, of course, is Shell, Equinor, US Steel. Jimmy has, you guys have your big consortium. And, And the big thing is in Pennsylvania, on our applications, it's one, we already have the current infrastructure in place. Two, we have the ability to expand our infrastructure much easier than everybody else. Three, we have end users who have already committed to using the hydrogen as the hub produces it, okay? And four, we're touching about 60% of the population in the United States here in the East Coast with these hubs, which is what you really wanna try and do. We also have the workforce to build them and we have the workforce to run the hydrogen hubs after they're completed. So it's really heavy on our radar. As you know, uh, Governor Wolf committed with Bipartisanship, you know, last October, a huge amount of money for state tax breaks for a hydrogen hub in Pennsylvania, you know, to the tune of about $1.25 billion, you know, so our politicians here in Harrisburg are well aware of it. And as Jimmy said, we just need to keep educating them and we need them to keep reaching out to the administration in Washington and pushing why Pennsylvania should be the leader in hydrogen hub technology, you know, we have the ability and we'll, you know, look, we have everything that checks the boxes for the feds right now. You know, if we can anchor two of these in Pennsylvania, that's a game changer for the next generation of energy production, energy usage here in PA.
5: Absolutely. And having said that for our listeners, um, you know, I mean, we're, I'll kind of close up on this, but Jimmy, we appreciate obviously the, uh, the introduction, uh, we've been talking about this a long time, you know, even on the labor show, we've had, um, some of the uh, individuals in the, from the administration on, and, and this fantastic, um, you know, that we, you know, we're wanted a finalist here and, and we're, we're going to do everything we can to push it home. But having said that the safety standards of the project on the construction, um, and when operating, obviously what union labor, um, we couldn't be safer. The benefits to Pennsylvanians, obviously, um, you know, great energy source, uh, obviously major lift to the tax base, the economy and the surrounding community. Um, and so that's a huge deal. Uh, obviously, uh, environmentally, uh, you know, I, you know we're, we're a very, very clean source of energy and, and uh, meets a lot of uh, a lot of the environmental uh, issues, uh, if not all of them and and so we're ecstatic about that. Um, so uh, as we get to the AFL cio fill the, the AFL CIO uh, meeting obviously we'll let everybody know. Um, so we appreciate that guys. let's move on uh, to an, uh, our second action alert on the broadcast and that's the legislation to expand uh, the setback distances um, that, that have to and this is uh, you know this is one, you know, that's also incredibly important. Dave Callahan introduced it um, and and it impacts all
6: of our energy uh, projects. Dave, if you would. Hit the wrong button. Thanks a lot. Again, it's great to be with you all today and it's a privilege to serve on this board. I can't say that enough. Uh, I I can't say how proud I am to be a part of this group. But um, thanks, I'd like to talk a little bit about legislation that was introduced last year that we assume will be introduced this year as well. We've seen it legislation introduced in both the House and the Senate that would increase what's known as setback distances. Setbacks are basically distances established in law um, between natural features like building uh, a water supply, a creek, a stream or something, and a well. State law was uh, recently updated at the beginning of the shale revolution here in Pennsylvania to increase those setback distances to 500 feet. The legislation at play now would increase that to 2,500 feet. And make no doubt, this is not about protecting health. It's not about protecting the environment. It's not about anything but shutting down the industry and establishing a statewide development ban, plain and simple. You know, when you look at what we have on the books now, where we are, um, the, the, the setback distances we have now are protective of human life. They are protective of the environment. And they're coupled with the nation's very strongest regulations for the development of natural gas. The two work hand in hand. Now, what do these distances mean? Right now, the existing setbacks already off a lot of acreage or land in the commonwealth from being developed. These 2,500-foot setbacks or anything beyond what we have on the books right now would clearly sterilize the state. And what does that mean? That means that we're not going to have a role to play in hydrogen hubs because folks won't be able to develop natural gas to help create hydrogen. That means the jobs won't be there for pipelines. That means that consumers who are counting on increased supplies of natural gas to heat their homes won't have it available to them. That also means that great technological advancements that are happening right now uh, that could use natural gas and fuel cells to help uh, generate electricity for your home, to help uh, generate power in a clean manner that that emits zero carbon dioxide. Those advancements are all thrown out the door if these people who are supporting this effort uh, are successful in achieving what amounts to a statewide ban. And oh, by the way, it throws out the window $2.3 billion uh, in impact fee revenue that's gone out from the industry to the state government, out to local governments as well. It means obviously jobs. I can hit upon the jobs time and time again, jobs at the wellhead, jobs at pipelines, jobs at manufacturing facilities, and power generation sites. I'm sorry, I could get ahead of steam here and keep going on and on, but I just wanted to help make folks aware of this that if you hear about it in your communities, when we see something introduced, we'll certainly alert folks so that they can talk with their legislator about it as well. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share it with you. Th-
5: thank you, Dave. And, and uh, before I bring Robin uh, uh, to talk about it, uh, Sean Steffi, uh, we had this conversation last month and, and in a sense, um, a part of the conversation was uh, uh, this is a backdoor effort of shutting down our energy products projects,
7: if you will. Yes, uh, Joe, and I would just like to reiterate what everybody said. It's a privilege to be on this team, and it's a team that I, I that we're taking the offensive instead of the defensive. And this is what we need to do moving p- forward with energy. Dave um, hit on all the points on the setbacks pretty well, and uh, you know it comes down to the bottom line. This is another way to hamstring our energy industry then, you know, if I could just kind of go off the beaten path a little bit, I mean, after what we just seen through Christmas on this polar cyclone and what the fossil fuel industry did for electricity generation and keeping, you know, electric on, and there was not one person, you know, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Sierra Club member, Penn Future, that didn't have their fingers crossed that their electricity didn't stay on. And how many people were unable to you know, take care of their shelves if their electricity would have been, you know, off. And that just goes to show how we need to utilize our fossil fuels, move forward with things like hydrogen and, you know, our natural gas. And, you know, let's not forget coal. It was there when we needed it. You know, I didn't see one Sierra Club member saying, hey, shut off the fossil fuel electricity during those four days. So we need to move forward. And we need to stay and, and give it affordable, reliable electricity and energy. And we've got to you know do away with things like this setback legislation that will hamstring our industry. And we need to keep on the offensive. And I think the individuals on this board and on this broadcast are the right people to keep moving forward.
5: Thank you, Sean. Absolutely. Uh, Rob Bear, if you will, I know you talked to – are uh, some of our legislators already on this issue?
2: Yeah, I've been already up on the hill. Uh, at the end of the last session, we knew this was coming. Uh, I've already been talking to leadership. Uh, look, we know why they're doing it. We know why it's being introduced. Uh, what we really need to do is we need to educate our legislators on why the current setback conditions are perfectly adequate. Now, there's always, you know, two sides to every coin. And as everybody knows, the Shapiro administration just settled up a huge lawsuit from 12 years ago where we had some players in the industry that were less than desirable. And we've cleaned that all up. And that's the message. Look, we're doing this with local people, local jobs, the people that are doing this, to work in the community, live in those communities. They feel comfortable with it. We feel comfortable with it. You know, and you have to keep beating down the message that, look, this is good for Pennsylvania. This is good for Pennsylvania's economy. If we want to hydrogen hubs, we need the natural gas. Increasing setback distances, 2,500 feet, not only shuts down new drilling, there's also been a proposal that we can't take an existing well that we can drill another hole out of because it doesn't meet the setback distances. So it effectively shuts down our active wells for any future expansion. And anybody in the industry knows we can always come back and drill another hole in an existing one, all right? So we're gonna have to just continuously educate our politicians, okay? A lot of them get it, but as we, you know, J- Jimmy said it, you said it, Sean said it, we're always under attack, okay? And the message is, look, we wanna be part of the solution. And part of the solution is taking what we have what we've perfected, the industry that we're using, and it's safe, it's reliable, we can continue to drill, and we can provide not just steady baseload generation, but we can utilize the existing natural resources we have to expand our footprint, expand our job base, expand our economic base in Pennsylvania, and we can use those existing wells and new ones to feed the hydrogen hubs to feed expansion into our bigger industry we want to bring here. Because at the end of the day, what do we need to bring industry in? We need people. We need incentives. We need reliable, affordable power. Okay, You hear all these guys yelling about, hey, we want to get a chip plant. Well, yeah, we'd love to get a chip plant. We'd love to get $100 billion like New York did. But we have to make it attractive to business. Now, if we're spending 18 $0.20 a kilowatt for electricity, Who's coming? By using all the tools in our tool belt, we make Pennsylvania that much more attractive. And quite frankly, when we make Pennsylvania that much more attractive and we become the economic engine of the East, which we can be, we can feed Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and we can be the center of energy production and clean energy production in the Northeast. And that's the message we're giving to the legislators. Excellent. Well, Dave, if you will keep
5: obviously, and I know Rob, you will uh, keep us abreast of uh, uh, obviously what's going on with the legislation there. Um, An issue is a great example of why you know we're, we we put this board together uh, so that we can all unite on issues that sometimes are not on the front page of the. In fact, most of these issues are not on the front page of, of the newspapers. So let's do this. Let's take a short break. Uh, we'll be back with more from the labor and energy show back to you Crousey.
1: great opening panel discussion today from all of our special guests on the labor and energy show don't forget if you miss any of today's broadcast and or if you want to re-listen to the broadcast you can listen to the podcast uh, via apple or spotify just search the labor and energy show we'll continue with today's panel discussion on the labor and energy show with jay doc and krause After this break,
0: you're listening to the Labor and Energy Show Action Alert Special, featuring the Energy, Education, and Awareness Council Board of Directors. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? a public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know that CO2 can be safely and permanently stored underground? Did you know? First charted in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager.
1: PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix
0: the renewable fuel standard today. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers.
5: It's a great conversation uh, that we're having. This is a the Labor and Ener- Energy Show, an action alert special. We've got the members of our Energy Education Awareness uh, board on the program, uh, ecstatic to bring the information to the public and to our our, our union communities uh, as well as our political leaders. Um, I would like to bring in uh, Kevin Boyle uh, and and Jim Riley into the conversation. Um, Kev, if you would talk about the importance of these projects, um, you know, to our to our locals, to you know, obviously for jobs, but also uh, for the communities. And then, if you will. Uh, Jim, uh, jump in there after Kevin's done. Well,
8: once again, I want to appreciate your time and energy, Joe, to put this board together and put out our agenda. Uh, It's a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, I'm on the back end of it with the working men and women and the community aspect of it is as a city agent and a city uh, union, we, we don't really see the ins and outs of uh, where all the hubs and stuff go. Uh, with the new hub down in Delaware, Marcus Hook, that will be our sister, uh, local with 451 Delaware. But anytime they get uh, need men or anything like that, we are uh, obliged to help them out, and we do send a lot of people down there. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, uh, and everybody looks at it, is, when they shut down all these plants, that all the good paying jobs and good paying communities that requ- uh, need these uh, hubs and everything, that they lost. They are actually losing money and losing community that the outreach um, would provide to provide homes, community centers, Um all the back stuff like coaching and all this other stuff that helped us. Um, So, you know, when we shut down and and, in John's case and Jimmy's case, they lost an industry. I mean, we still have our structural part of it, but they lost big time, but it's also lost to the communities because these people depended on that hub and that thing. And now with the new hub coming and us pushing to get it, is that, that we have to stress to the community how good it is for them. And listen, a good-paying job is is just as good as any other job is, except you're in the energy part of it. Um, like to me, when I look at it, it's we're all based off of man hours here. Our pensions depend on it, our uh, running the locals depend on it, but it's also being part of the community that uh, is our biggest concern. So when Jimmy and John tells us, we try to preach it to the communities why it's good for them. And uh, we will be stepping out and and like I said, we don't worry about like electricity because we don't have them big uh, waves of stuff coming in at us at Philadelphia. Very rarely you'll see a mudslide. Very rarely you'll see a shutdown of energy. Uh, but... We're always telling us, uh, like I always look at it, like, what should we do for the electric? What should we do? We have to use, like Rob Bear said, we have to use every tool in our imagination because I think sometimes people just say, oh, just get rid of it all. Well, if you just get rid of it all, nothing happens. You're not just going to get rid of it. It it just doesn't go away. It's an industry, right? So then you shut down this, that, you know, with the tree, we got to get new energy, They're gonna be putting windmills out in the middle of the ocean. How much is that? You you know what I mean? You're not gonna get all your energy from the wind. That's not, that's an unrealistic, um, unrealistic to think that is gonna cure your cure all, right? And and that's my biggest concern is we have to use everything. And like Rob said, he says, Clean energy is what everybody's looking for, but when you mention clean energy, you're always thrown in just with fossil fuels. That's what they look at. But it's a, it's a better. We have to use everything. You have to use coal, nuclear, uh, uh, hydrogen. You have to use it all because that's what's
5: going to consume and make us better throughout. And hey, Kev, to- let me uh, let let me jump in. You know, you talk about the communities. The, the, the businesses that are around, you know, you know, these facilities, obviously the tax base, the economy. Um, so yeah, point well made. Uh, Jim Riley, talk about the, uh, the impact that these facilities have on, on your, uh, on your membership. Do we have J- Jimmy Riley? We'll have him email it to us. <laughs> um, if, 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 he, if, if Jimmy gets a chance to come on. But we had the conversation, uh, obviously, the operating. But, you know, I could I can, uh, Greg, I could, uh, you know, have you a pinch hit for Jimmy right now, if you will. Uh, you know, you're, you're the workforce for the operating engineers. Um, and by the way, Jimmy's on. He's just on mute. <laughs> Talk about that in your industry, Greg. Sure. And and like the other said, I'm, I'm very happy
9: to be part of this
5: discussion. And
9: when we talk about energy policy, I think it's really about asking ourselves three questions. Is it feasible? Is it reliable? And what does it cost? And and having somewhat of an advantage of listening to the other guys talk about this, and just jotting down some notes, because we're big advocates for the full mix of energy, and and we keep hearing this. But when Jim he led it off in talking about hydrogen. He also wove in nuclear energy and the wind energy. And then Bob talked about the hydrogen and he talked about tax incentives. And while tax incentives are great, you have OREX for the offshore wind, SREX for solar. Uh, new Jersey's doing zero emission credits uh, for the new plant in Salem. And now if we want to talk about government incentives for um, the hydrogen, you know, this is what made Dave's head almost explode because he talked to us about how his industry is putting money back into the communities that it doesn't need the government support. It actually supports uh, the communities going the other way. You know, Rob talked about the insanity of legislation and, you know, the the laws of unintended consequences are just absolutely horrible. Um, You know, he also brought up the chip plant. And when you talk about a factory, 48% 48% of the cost is in the energy. So we, we have to stay on the cost factor. So when we're talking about um, all of this, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to the economy, you know, another recent article, because we can't uh, ignore the refining industry, there's talk of gas going near $5 a gallon. And in the Northeast, we can point directly to a lack of refining capacity as to why that may happen around here. So these things all lead to hitting the average middle-class person dead in the pocket. And and I'll just do one quick um, call to action to to sum up my comments. FERC recently uh, approved Williams Reliable Energy Access Project, which is a new uh, updates to a compressor station in Branchburg, New Jersey. So if you come up 202 out of Bucks County, go about 10 miles north of Flemington, you're in branchburg updates to a compressor station in old bridge which is uh, between us 9 and new jersey route 18 you're in old bridge and a brand new compressor station in west Deptford for you philly area guys i don't have to explain where that is but this is again reliability in the network this is jobs and this is just powering an economy and of course the environmentalists heads have exploded and they're all screaming at governor murphy to stop permits so anybody who might be listening who's in new jersey attached to new jersey this pipeline is not exclusively new jersey it comes through pa um you know i would say drop in on the governor's office in the new jersey bpu and uh, tell them to approve permits because this is actually making the pipeline cleaner and more efficient uh which is the insanity
5: of the public debate over these projects absolutely i i i appreciate that greg and uh I do want to say, having said that, I just looked at my phone and Jimmy Riley, um, and this is concerning, I sent my best wishes, we just had an accident in the field, um, I, I I need to get there, so um, thoughts and prayers, obviously, um, that's no one likes to hear that, um, and so, um, you know, God bless, it's hard to segue from that, but um, appreciate, appreciate you. Um, your your input there and, and pinch hitting Greg and, and um, I wanna I wanna if anybody wants a way in there I know John Bland um, we're going to talk about an update on the RFS okay John you know when it, when it comes to uh, all of these issues we've had this conversation um, your members make a a, a total living off uh, of of these facilities uh, the next topic that we're going to touch and we got about eight minutes left in the broadcast, is the RFS, the EPA RFS update. I'm going to have, Brandon, if you'll take a couple minutes just to give us a little bit of an update. Um, then I'm going to bring in Adam and, and, uh, and John Bland away in. Um, where are we? And like I said, we only have a couple minutes. But where are we? I know we just had a couple public meetings. And What are the other pertinent dates if listeners
10: want to join in to this uh, fight? Yeah, thanks again, jdoc doc Really appreciate you covering the topic. It's really important for refining and energy supply in the region. The uh, Short of it is, as we've talked about before, EPA is proposing to mandate more ethanol than you can actually physically use in gasoline supply, given engines and infrastructure constraints. And so when that happens, uh, the independent refiners that can't blend ethanol at their facility, because you can't ship it in a pipeline, right, we, we have to actually buy credits from the, the terminals and the, the bigger companies that actually do control the blending. So when you mandate more ethanol than you can use, those credits aren't available. They become scarce. The price goes way up. And we've been dealing with high per credit prices for a while now. Unfortunately, EPA's proposal looks to lock these in for three years. Uh, the good news is we just had a public hearing on the proposal, and I would say there was a, a great diversity of voices uh, from our region. We had a lot of union voices, a lot of industry voices. We had local elected officials, uh, chambers of commerce, businesses that depend on refining. They all weighed in asking EPA to lower the ethanol requirement. Those hearings were Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and we'll, um, you know, I'll send you a link with all the testimony. It'd be great to get around to everybody. It's really important. Now, there is still a public comment period open until February 10th, where people could submit written comments. Uh, and to make it easier for folks who are interested in asking EPA to do the right thing here, uh, there's a website, fuelingusjobs.com. If you go to it, there's a take action link and there's a pre-populated message you can personalize if you like. You could send it to EPA telling them to lower the ethanol mandate to bring these credit prices down. You can also send it to your legislature and ask your legislature to weigh in with EPA uh, and, and also support legislation Senator Coons and Senator Casey are looking to develop that would actually control the cost of these things over the longer term. Uh, and it is critical because independent refiners are spending more in these credits than all of their operating costs combined. In Delaware, I think we pay up six times more for these credits than, than on payroll. That's how expensive they are. And it's not unsustainable. It was one of the reasons we couldn't get PES back open as a refinery uh, when it went down. Uh, it's also adding 20 to 30 cents a gallon to the pump. So it's critical that we take pertinent action now, because once they finalize this thing in June, if it doesn't change, I mean, that's three years. That's a that's a horrible signal. It could have some adverse consequences to everybody in the region. You know, we just Greg just talked about. You know, gas prices. Well, I mean, if you have more refining, you, the East Coast has lost seventy percent of its refining capacity since two thousand nine. If we lose them I mean, we're in trouble now. Everybody's worried. You know, we're we're lucky. Winter isn't as cold as it was because we have a real diesel supply issue right now. Uh, and if you lock in these high costs for three years, who knows what the future can hold? That, Adam, you know, welcome your perspective on the topic as well.
5: Yeah, and Adam, if you would elaborate on, like I said, we only have a couple of minutes, and we're going to bring John John Bland in to talk about jobs and how it impacts them. But Adam, if you would talk, uh, touch on on that issue, and uh, if you would elaborate a little bit further on the potential uh, legislation uh, uh, that Senator Coons and company are are bringing on.
3: Sure. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here today. And I think, look, we've heard an, an overriding message here that we really need an all the above energy strategy, right? When you put all of your eggs into one basket, uh, bad things can happen. And let me just paint a quick picture, which wasn't too long ago. Uh, back uh, May of, of, of 21, when uh, the Colonial Pipeline went down due to a cyber attack, right? You started to see fuel shortages, fuel outages, Price spikes pretty much from Florida all the way up until Maryland. When you started to get north of Maryland, you didn't see all of that. Why? Because you had companies like PBF still running, Monroe Energy still running, providing the region uh, with vital transportation fuel. So, you know, making sure that we don't put all our eggs in one basket is vitally important, a diverse energy supply. When it comes to how it's made, also where it's made is vitally important. And 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 to Rob's earlier point, you know, you, you really can't shun energy development and then wonder why energy costs go higher and then companies don't want to locate uh, into your state and why jobs opportunities uh, disappear. So when it comes to the RFS, this is a vitally uh, critical issue for for uh, us and and companies like uh, PBF, as Brendan mentioned. And just to paint a quick picture. Uh, our obligation, where prices are this year, will be double the purchase price of our entire company. So I would ask anyone if that makes sense. If you if you had, you know, uh, insurance uh, costs for your home, homeowners insurance that actually double the purchase price of your home, you couldn't stay in your home. It doesn't make sense. It's not what Congress intended. Fast forward uh, to what uh, Senator Casey and and Senator Coons are looking to introduce on a RINs kind of waiver credit bill. You know, we know the EPA has the uh, authority to do this, but um, from a legislative standpoint, it would be incredible to have a bill like this pass because it would not only provide economic certainty, but it would also let us plan for the future to put so many men and women to work and kind of build the greener fuel plants of tomorrow.
5: And having said that, Adam, if you'll keep us abreast of that legislation, um, obviously we want to take action on that. and We we appreciate your input. John Bland, um, if you would close us out, talk about the impact on jobs um, when it comes to the RFS. Well, I appreciate
11: it, Joe. It's a little bit of both. The RFS, I mean, like I said, some of these uh, government programs, you, you seen. I'm going to talk a little more about the power generation and the RFS with our refiners. And it's just not in the Delaware Valley area. It's hurting us everywhere. Uh, you know, basically, we've lost, it's been depleted, how many refineries we've lost after the, over the last 10, 12 years. You know, just put it into perspective, Joe, we're almost at the breaking point of like a national security issue where things are going to start escalating out of out of control. A perfect example, let's segue back into the summertime. Every time you get a hurricane right now, oh my God, you got to shut down uh, refineries, you got to shut everything down. 10 years ago, you didn't realize that you had a major issue. You're lucky if gas went up two cents, three cents. Now it's a major topping point every time you have a hurricane. We just had a small cold spell in Pennsylvania. The first time, all of a sudden the PGM is putting out alerts, let's let's control as much energy as we use. They were at the breaking point right there. How much power generation have we lost? You know, here we are talking about building industry, bringing industry back to the United States from overseas. How do you do that with no power generation? And we got to do it clean, but we need to bring everything back. The more power generation, the more refineries you lose, the more of your national security you have. We're, we're in trouble, and nobody really realizes this. And I mentioned it before about the PES refinery. I mean, that shut down in September. You know, September, I think it was 2019. So what happened in October, November of 2019? Automatically, we didn't have enough home heating oil. We were getting everything from Russia. That tells you right now, we're
5: one refinery away from more imported products. It's, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It is like the twilight zone and i you know we're, we're shutting ourselves down okay we're, you know and we're importing the same stuff we were manufacturing and we all know what they're doing overseas um and at the same time we know how much cleaner we do it here and how much better i just uh, so john i, I want to thank you for, you know obviously for your passion and 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 and, and your input on really all these issues. We talk about them all the time. I wanna say this to, to Greg Lallaby. Greg, we're not gonna get uh, to the New York, uh, to the appliance issue, but the crazy thing about that is this, that thing's going national. Like right now, you you, you, uh, you know, the, the, the New York ban with, the, you know, with obviously with the, is, is going national. We're gonna spend um you know we're, we're going to dedicate a lot of time to that if you got 30 seconds if you want to throw something in that would be great sure uh
9: you know our our organization has done a lot of polling on the energy issue and the natural gas issue and people in the 80 percentile are in love with their home stove so the other side had to come up with something to demagogue this and demonize it and, and make it a fight it's it's absolutely ridiculous
5: and uh I don't think it's really going to stand the test of time, but it's it's amazing because it is lighting a, a little bit of a fire. In other words, you're seeing all kinds of states uh, talk about these uh, the, these uh, appliance bans, and it just goes to show you. I'll uh, go ahead. When when Seattle, when Seattle did their natural
9: gas ban in the city, the restaurant industry revolted because no no decent chef wants to cook with electric.
5: Period. Absolutely. It, it, it is the twilight zone. You never know what's going to hit you next, gentlemen. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this Labor and Energy Action Alert special. Uh, all of your input, um, obviously, much appreciated. Um, and and of course, we look forward to updating everybody and 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 pushing our calls to action. I want to thank everybody. By the way, it's it's my honor, obviously, to be on uh, you know on the board with everybody here, and I can't wait for uh, what we're gonna do together. On behalf of obviously uh, of our Energy Education and Awareness Board, um, I I thank our listeners for tuning in. And uh, I'm Joe Doherty. Krause, back to you.
1: That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. For me, it was great to just be a listener like you, the listening audience. Great information today from our panel discussion. J. Doc, great job by you as well. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. Don't forget to download today's podcast on Apple or Spotify. Just search the Labor and Energy Show. On behalf of all of our very special guests today who joined us, and on behalf of my partner, uh, Jay Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you next week, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Labor and Energy Show Action Alert Special, featuring the Energy Education and Awareness Council Board of Directors. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why Elac and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. The Eastern Atlantic State's Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in
7: construction, visit EAScarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters.